Good evening. Hi, I'm Karen Nutt, Director of Child Development Services with the Braille Institute. I would like to welcome you here tonight for the Dr. Bill Telephone Series. The Dr. Bill Telephone Series is an educational program focusing on pediatric eye conditions for parents, teachers, and other professionals working with young children with visual impairments. The topic presented should not be considered a medical or educational consultation, but information to help us better understand pediatric eye conditions. Tonight's topic is on eye-hand coordination. I would like to welcome Dr. Bill. Thank you, Dr. Bill. Uh, thank you very much, Karen. This very, very nice introduction, and I really, really am thankful that so many people come on these calls on these evenings when people have shopping to do or gifts to wrap or cards to send out and all sort of other fun things. But um, I hope that all of you are getting prepared for the holidays, and I know that this year it's been so different. There's so many different things, but I, I really pray that we can get the virus under control, and soon all the businesses will be open and we can go out and have a good time. Well, tonight we're going to talk about eye-hand coordination. And so much of what we have been talking about in the previous weeks all build up to the point where we can have eye-hand coordination. In other words, if a child doesn't have a lot of the other visual skills we talked about before, it would be very difficult for them to develop eye-hand coordination. But the very, very amazing thing about vision is that vision is a developed skill. And we have seen from our previous lectures that vision involves many different parts of the brain. That's very, very unusual, where with other types of skills, it might just use one region of the brain. But for vision, we use the back of the brain, called the occipital lobe, and that is where the visual processing occurs. It is so amazing to see how much of the brain is used just for that type of visual processing. We also use the front region of the brain, and that area right by the forehead is what controls the eyes when we scan to look from left to right or up and down. And when we're reading, we scan our eyes from one word to the next. And all of that is controlled by that frontal lobe of the brain. We see that there are some kids who have been in accidents. Maybe they were riding in the car and they actually were in a car accident and the baby flies forward and hits the windshield and it 
hits the forehead area. Well, that type of injury could damage that ability to shift the eyes from one location to another. And years later, as a child's trying to read, we may find that for some reason, this child just cannot read. He's very bright, but he just is not able to figure out these words. And we find that it's because of that type of eye movement controlled by the frontal lobe of the brain. We also know that there's the left and the right sides of the brain. Those are the parietal lobes of the brain. And that's involved in movement of the left and the right sides of the body. But it is also involved in the ability to follow a moving object. And this is a completely different type of eye movement. If a child is following a car that's driving down the road, or the child is following a hot air balloon that's flying in the sky, or if a child is following a baseball that is hit to him, that type of following movement, it involves the parietal lobe, which tells the eyes to follow it. And then we also have the brainstem. And this is the area where different regions of the brainstem controls how the two eyes work together. And it also affects a lot of our other types of visual processing. So, the point to this little introduction and review about the brain is just to remind everybody that there are many different visual skills, and these visual skills take place in different parts of the brain. And if a child has a seizure, or a child has a high fever, or if a child falls down and hits himself in the head, it can affect some of these different visual skills. And the important thing is that children must have a vision examination by a pediatric eye doctor who is able to identify all of these different visual skills without the child talking. You know, there's a lot of the eye doctors that specialize in adults or older kids and they rely on the child to be able to talk, to be able to tell you certain information. But when you're working with an infant that may be three months old or six months old, they are not able to talk. And we need the eye doctors who are able to identify these vision problems and then recommend a program of vision development. And then these vision therapists will perform specific activities that the doctors recommend 
and they will teach mom and dad how to perform these kind of activities. And these visual skills can definitely improve. It is so amazing because there have been so many children that we have worked with over the years who are legally blind and their vision is so blurry that if they were able to read the letters on the eye chart, they could not even read the big E on the eye chart. But after the vision stimulation, their vision improves. And these are kids who later grow up to be young adults who are allowed to drive a car. Believe it or not, they could drive a car. So this evening we're going to talk about eye-hand coordination. And this is really a level of vision that's stepping the boundaries a bit. Because we're not only just talking about vision now. Now we're talking about how do the eyes direct the hands to move towards an object. And this is something that is very, very important because children will use this type of skill to pick up things. Maybe they see their pacifier on the table. Well, eye-hand coordination allows them to see where it is and how to guide their hands and fingers to be able to grab that pacifier and then put it in his or her mouth. You know, that's a very, very high-level task. Even though we don't think it really is that much. But when we see adults who have suffered from stroke and you see them trying to relearn how to use their eyes and hands together, you'll truly see what a difficult task that would be, just like to try to pick up a pacifier. We use eye-hand coordination if we're trying to pick up other objects that we want to use, such as a pencil or a pen. And once we have a pencil or a pen in our hand, it is eye-hand coordination that directs the hands to know how to print or how to cursive handwrite or how to draw. So it's very, very important. We also know that within these different types, we could get all of these types of people to come. And they can play with us. And we could play all of these different types of games. And as we play these types of games, we will learn how to play these games and have different types of traps 
and different types of patterns to catch anything that is really not wanted in our area. So are there certain times that there could be different animals? And these particular types of animals that are coming near your home could be a real, real problem But you can go ahead and set up a way that these particular dangerous animals wouldn't be coming in after you. So it is truly, truly amazing to be able to have that particular type of understanding between the eyes and the hands and how they work together. Now, one of the first things that we really need to do as we start to think about all of these particular types of activities that you can perform to develop your eye-hand coordination is that we need to understand that we are using many different parts of the brain when we are doing these kinds of activities. The first thing, as we could understand, is that we have to make certain that the eye will use the centermost region of the eye. You know, a lot of people don't realize that, but within the eyeball, there is one particular point, and it is like a bullseye inside the eye. And that part of the retina is called the fovea, F-O-V-E-A, the fovea. And it's very, very important that we make certain that that animal or that child learns how to use the fovea. And the reason for that is the fovea has the sharpest level of vision of any part of the eye. That is the part of the retina that has the highest concentration of cells. So, if a child or an animal, if they are looking at the sky and they're trying to find a bird that is flying. They may not really even see the bird very clearly until they move their eye so that the bird focuses on that part of the eye called the fovea. 
And once the eye is able to focus on that object such that the object is focusing on that fovea in the retina, it suddenly becomes very, very clear. It becomes very colorful. It becomes very detailed where you would be able to see the texture of the skin, for example. And so when an animal or a human is using that very centered part of the retina called the fovea, that is when we get the clearest level of vision. If we don't use that very centered part of the retina, then the vision is going to be very, very blurred. The vision is not going to have good colors. The vision will not have much contrast. So, if you are looking at an object, but you are not using the center fovea of the retina, you may not even see it. If you're in the forest and you're looking around, you may not even see anything else out there because you are not using the center part of the retina called the fovea. So from a very, very young age, it is very important that we perform activities to try to teach the children to use their central vision. That central vision, again, is called the fovea. As the child is using the fovea, they then learn the benefits of using the fovea. They learn that they could actually see these things. They learn that they're seeing more colors. And when they're not using the fovea, they don't even see any colors. So what we find is that within a matter of months, the human baby will really begin to use the fovea very, very effectively. And as they are using the fovea, it then sends signals to the center of the occipital lobe of the brain. And you could feel that area with your hand. Take your hand and place it in the back of your head, right in the center, and you'll feel like a little bump. There's an area that's sort of a bump. Well, that bump area contains all the cells that correspond to your central vision. And that's a very, very important part of the brain. 
that is the part of the brain that's able to read numbers and letters. It's the part of the brain that sees all the colors. It's the part of the brain that could see low contrast. It's the part of the brain that identifies faces. So all of this very, very high-level vision that we rely on, it is processed in that center region in the back of your head. And so if a child is running around or just learning to walk, and they fall down, and they hit the back of their head right there. It is very possible that they could lose all of their detailed vision. They will lose the ability to see sharp. They will lose the ability to see color. They'll lose the ability to see fine details. And when this happens, these children usually then become legally blind, meaning that they do not have that ability to see the details, and they are only left with the vision they have in their peripheral vision. And the peripheral vision is controlled by the regions around the outer edges of the occipital lobe of the brain, okay? The areas around that bump, if you feel the back of your head. And if a person is no longer able to see because they fell and damaged the center part of the occipital lobe, and they were only left with the peripheral areas to see, their vision would be about 20 over 400. They would not be able to see things smaller anymore. They would not be able to see colors they would have difficulty with their depth perception. Let's say if they wanted to reach and to grab something, or maybe they were going to go and attack somebody. They would have difficulty knowing how close or how far that other person was. So, we can understand that the way that the eyes are designed is that the very center of the back of your brain, that little bump that sticks out, that occipital lobe, the bump, is very, very important to giving us our clarity of sight, our color vision, our depth perception, and to give us the ability to solve problems. Very, very important. And the regions that are around the edge of the occipital lobe 
they are what give us our peripheral vision. And that is very important, too. That type of peripheral vision, it protects us when we're walking so that we don't bump into a tree branch or something else that might be sticking out. Our peripheral vision gives us that information to help us to see. I also want you to remember that it is your peripheral vision that gives us your night vision. Your peripheral vision also gives you your night vision. So that peripheral vision is what allows you to go camping at night or to walk around at nighttime when there are no lights. If your peripheral vision was not working properly, you would be totally blind at night. You would not be able to see these things. And that would really make walking, mobility, those kinds of activities very, very, very difficult. Okay, are there any questions so far on the basics about the central vision and the peripheral vision? Any questions or any comments? What kind of dog is that? (laughs) I was just going to say, whoever's dog that is, if you would not mind um, muting yourself, that would be very helpful. Thank you. I forgot what is the... I have a question. Yes, please. What's the key to mute yourself, though? Was that star six? Yes, Dr. Bill, star six. If you're on your phone... And then if you're on the computer, you can just um, tap on the um, microphone um, and click it off. Oh, okay. Yeah, ma'am, you had a question? Yes. If I'm trying to identify the occipital lobe uh, and then I go to the back of the head, where would that little bump be located? Yeah. So the occipital lobe of the brain is the entire back of your your brain. And okay. if you put your hand on the very back of your skull, yeah, that is the entire occipital lobe. Now, in the very center, oh. in the very center of the back of your head, you might feel a little bump. It might be about the size of a quarter. Okay. On the left side or the right side or the middle? It's right in the middle, yes. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Now, for some people, it's harder to fill that area. But that is the area that gives you all of your very detailed vision and your color vision. And so if a child were to fall down, And you know how they often will fall down and they'll hit their head on the ground. Well, that area is often the area that gets hit when their head hits the cement. 
And when that happens, it could cause them to lose that central vision. They lose their detailed vision. They lose their colored vision. Now, when we do find out, yeah, no, that's a really good question. If we do find out that a child does not have the central vision or the child does not have the color vision, then we are going to perform exercises And these types of exercises will stimulate that part of the brain. And it can improve the clarity of sight. I mean, it is so amazing how many kids that we have worked with who lost their clarity of sight. And after we performed these kind of activities, they developed very good sight. And it is something that a lot of doctors will not talk about. If you see a lot of the ophthalmologists, they will go ahead and they could do a CAT scan or MRIs and they can show you where the problem is. And they will say, this is why your child doesn't see clearly. This is why your child doesn't make eye contact with you anymore. He's got a blind spot right there. And then we, on the other hand, as low vision doctors, we say, well, we're very glad that we found this problem. And now let's do exercises that will stimulate this part of the brain. And by doing these kind of exercises, it creates new connections in that part of the brain and that will improve their vision. It's the same sort of thing if a child is playing outside and they fall off the curb and then they break their arm Well, one of the important treatments for that child is not just to put the child in a cast, but we also want to do exercises so that child learns how to move the muscles of the arm and the wrist again. And by doing those kind of exercises, the child's arm will regain function. And that's what we're doing with vision. When we find that a child cannot see clearly anymore, or maybe the child doesn't see colors anymore, or maybe the child's depth perception is really, really bad, we're going to perform exercises and games with these kids. And these visual skills very often get a whole lot better. Any other questions? Will you go into the the types of exercises that are recommended for that? Yeah, that's a great question. When we see a child 
and we identify that they have a vision problem, then we're going to show you the specific types of exercises. So let me give you an example because there's many different possibilities here, but there are many children that when they're born and they have reduced vision, their eyes are constantly shaking very quickly. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's quite common. And this is called nystagmus, N-Y-S-T-A-G-M-U-S, nystagmus. So the eyes are just shaking very, very rapidly. And when you look at these kids, you feel for them because you could imagine that they're very, very dizzy. If your eyes were shaking like that very quickly, you would see everything in the world shifting from back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it would make you very, very dizzy. And it may make you just throw up. So, when a child has that type of nystagmus, they often will not look at objects with their central vision. So the first goal that we have is we're going to perform exercises. We will show you what kind of exercises that you could do to treat the nystagmus. In some cases, we could prescribe glasses that will slow down the nystagmus. And then we'll use different types of lights, pen lights and things. And we're going to move these pen lights closer, and the child will look at the pen lights as they get closer, and then we'll notice, hey, this nystagmus is getting better. And we'll continue to do exercises, and pretty soon we find that there is no more nystagmus. At that time, we're now ready to go to the next step, and that would be to work on the child's eye-hand coordination, where we're going to have things, and we want the child to pick up these things using their index finger and thumb. We're not going to ask them to try to pick it up with their hands while their eyes are shaking. Because if they try to do it while their eyes are shaking, then they are not actually going to learn how to use their index finger and thumb together to pick up things. They will probably just let the whole palm of the hand fill it and then just try to grab by using all the fingers at once. Now, that's good if a child learns to use all the fingers at once and to grab it, but our goal is to teach them how to use the index finger and thumb because it gives them much more precision 
for example, in terms of they're going to pick up something small, they could pick it up like a button, a shirt button. They could pick it up if they know how to use their index finger and thumb. But if they don't know how to use the index finger and thumb, they're then going to try to pick it up with their entire hand, and they will not be able to pick it up with the palm of their hand. So we sequentially are going to teach the child how to do different things that involve their eyes and hands together, and that's going to prepare them to begin to hold on to a fork and a spoon. It's going to later prepare them to hold on to a pencil and a pen. And it's later going to prepare them how to copy and draw. And we'll do all kinds of different activities. We have these different types of light boxes. It's nothing special. It's just a piece of wood that's into a box. And then on the top of it, we have a piece of glass that is frosted white. And what we could do is we could put a pattern, a picture. Let's say it's Mickey Mouse under it. We turn on the lights that are in the box and then the child is going to go ahead and trace it with his picture, with his, his finger and his pen or crayon or whatever. And within a short amount of time, this child has copied Mickey Mouse and they're just elated. I mean, it looks exactly like it. But this is how we develop that type of eye-hand coordination. As a child is improving, we will then put on what are called polarized glasses. These are like those 3D glasses you see in the movies, you know? And we're going to go ahead and show pictures that are 3D. And when you look at those 3D pictures with the 3D glasses on, oh, it is amazing. These animals look like they're popping off the page. It could be the three bears. These particular types of stories are so cool. And then you'll see the kids trying to pet these bears with their hands. And they could see that each bear is at a different location. When this is happening, this is called binocular depth perception, which means that the brain is using both eyes together to judge how close or how far something is. And we will continue to do these kinds of activities and show 3D movies like this. And this is a way that a child will develop very good eye-hand coordination 
which makes them much better for playing sports. Makes them much safer if they're going to ride a bicycle. Makes them much safer if they're going to drive a car. But if you don't have that kind of depth perception, all of these activities could be very, very dangerous. There are a lot of adults, for one reason or another, they get an injury and they lose the vision of one eye. And when they lose the vision of one eye like that, they usually are fit with a glass eye. And the glass eye looks beautiful. People don't even notice if they have a glass eye. But these people do not have the same type of depth perception because they only have one eye. And they often stop driving because they can't judge the depth of how close or how far another vehicle is. So overall, when it comes down to working with children, it's very important that at a particular point in time, we're going to look at their eye-hand coordination, their eye-foot coordination, their depth perception. And if we see that any areas are weak, we're going to go ahead and develop it by having the parents do activities and their vision therapists do these kind of activities. And it is amazing because we will see how all of these visual skills improve. So are there any questions from anybody out there about any of these activities that we talked about? Feel free to ask anything. That would be fine. I do have another question. Yeah, please. Thank you. With COVID and virtual learning is, you know, I, I suspect most children are using screens a lot more because my child is. Yeah, uh, Is that they are. bad for their vision? That's a really good question. And I would say using screens, whether it's going to be a computer screen or television screen, they are not real bad for a child's eyes. Now, here is what we do know about it, though is that these TV screens and computer screens, they do emit blue light. And blue light can be harmful to the tissues of the retina inside the eye. So what we do is if we know that our child is going to be in front of a screen for a long time, we now have glasses 
and the lenses of it are treated so it will filter out the blue light and it will filter the ultraviolet light. So the harmful rays of light won't even get into your child's eyes because these glasses are protecting them. So that is the best way if you want to be very, very safe. Good question. Uh, one more. Nope. Do they have uh, screen like protectors for to to cancel out the blue light? Yes, and the answer to that is yes. Some of these different types of computer uh, stores, they will have screens that you could put over on top of the computer screen, and it will filter out the blue light and the ultraviolet light. Yes. They're not as effective as the glasses, but they're better than nothing. Okay, thank you. Oh, great questions. Thank you. If any of you are adults who have a job, maybe you're a, a, a bookkeeper or a lawyer and you're on the computer all day long, the same thing is that that blue light and ultraviolet light can harm your eyes. So you want to make certain that your doctor gives you these computer glasses that will filter out the blue light and the ultraviolet light. All right, does anybody else have any other questions? It could be about anything related to children's vision, too. It doesn't have to be only this. Uh, Dr. Bill, this is Patty. Oh, hey, Patty. How are you? Hi, good, and you? I actually just wanted to add comment on what you were saying about the blue light. Um, yeah. For the parent who is asking, um, if some computers or some of the children's Chromebooks have a blue light reduction setting, so if she looks in her settings, in the child's settings where um, the light is at, she may want to look for that blue light filter or uh, light reduction. And that might also help a little bit of the blue light that's being omitted to reduce it. Ah, good point. Good point. Is that in most computers now? Um, many of them have it, have it, but sometimes it's called blue light reduction. But I've yeah. also seen it called like um, night light. Um, oh. So you may want to look at how it's um, worded. But if when I Googled it, when it says like, do you want the night light turned on or something of that nature, it's talking about blue light. It's a blue light filter. Ah, great. So, Thank you, Patty. That's really a good good suggestion. Thank you. You're welcome. Are there any other uh, questions, or do others just have any other comments you'd like to share? Okay. Well, if any of you do come up with questions or you have other information you'd like to share, please just send it over to Karen Nutt or your Braille consultant, and we'll go ahead and share it with others. So, Karen, do you have any other announcements you'd like to make? No, thank you, Dr. Bill. And um, please tune in in January. I can't believe we're saying that. Wow. Um, <laughs> I know, right? Yes. 
please tune in on the second Tuesday in January um, for our next Dr. Bill call. And thank you all for joining us tonight. And thank you again, Dr. Bill, for the information. It's always um, a wealth of information, and we're oh. very appreciative. Thank you. Oh, thank you, and I wish all of you have a wonderful holiday season.